0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Bend, Oregon, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling, with numbers specific to Bend, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Bend. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and this is another very short, I anticipate, episode of the uh, kind of podcast series we've been doing for buying a property in the next 90 days when prices are high, interest rates are high, and rents are up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and higher interest rates. And today's class is on something that we've, we've mentioned quite a bit, we've sort of talked about sort of not comprehensively, but it's the idea of all the different ways to pay for private mortgage insurance. We're calling it the three strategies to pay private mortgage insurance. Now, remember, in most cases, a lender's going to want you to put 20% down. And you're, you may want to say to them, hey, listen, you know, I know you want me to put 20% down. However, I would really prefer if I'm going to invest in real estate to put less than 20% down, you know, if you're house hacking or you're doing nomad, or you're, even if you're trying to buy a property as a non-owner occupant, invest a property that you're not moving into and you want to put less than 20% down, like, let's say you want to do a 15% down non-owner occupant loan. The lender will say to you, okay, you know, I would prefer you put 20% down. However, if you insist on putting less than 20% down, I might be willing to make the loan for you under certain conditions. So, for doing a non-owner occupant, they may go down to fifteen percent down instead of twenty percent down. For the um, no matter house hacking one, you know, you could buy those with nothing, nothing, no percent down, nothing percent down. You could you could buy it with zero percent down, like a USDA loan or a VA loan, as long as you're moving into the property and you qualify for those loan programs. You know, one of them is for rural properties, the USDA loan. The other one is for people that have VA benefits, the VA loan. But you could also buy with 3.5% down the FHA loan. And that's one of the easier loans to qualify for from a credit score perspective. Um, And you could also use the FHA loan to buy duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes in addition to single family homes. So that's a very attractive loan program a lot of time for house hackers and for nomads who are like trying to buy properties. But then a lot of times you may wanna buy these kind of like low down programs, like a 5% down conventional loan, or if you're buying your first property, maybe a 3% down conventional loan program. And from time to time, they'll come out with different pro loan programs. Like for a while, there was a 1% down conventional loan program, which I don't think it's available anymore as, the, as of the time of this recording, which is uh May 23rd, 2023. But if you're going to go and you're going to put less than 20% down, the lender may say to you, look, okay, I'm willing to do that for you. However, I'm probably going to give you a higher interest rate than what you do if you put 20% down. You know, I'm going to, there's a little bit of risk to me. So I'm going to charge you a higher interest rate. And in addition to that, because I don't feel protected if you stop paying, if you default on the loan and I need to go foreclose on you, take possession of the property and resell it to get all my money back. I am going to insist that you go to this third party insurance company and you're going to pay them a fee in order to insure me in case you default. And they will protect me up to a certain amount uh, on the property in case I need to foreclose on you and I need to sell it and I don't get all my money back. Okay. And so they may say to you, look, we're willing to do this. It's less than ideal for us. So we're going to charge you a slightly higher interest rate. We are going to insist that you pay this third-party company, a private mortgage insurance company, in order to insure us in case you default. Okay. So how do you pay this third-party company? It's not the lender. It's usually a third party, a separate company from the lender themselves that actually insures against them having a loss in case they need to foreclose. Okay, so the three ways to pay private mortgage insurance is number one, an upfront lump sum fee. Like a one-time relatively large payment that is like a one-time insurance premium. It's almost like title insurance, right? With title insurance, we're not paying monthly. We're not paying yearly we're only paying one time every time we have a transaction. So every time we buy or sell a property, we're usually buying or selling, you know, providing or buying um, a title insurance policy, which protects the title of the property. In case there's an issue with the record of ownership, which is what title is, or liens or encumbrances on the property, then we have insurance for that. Well, similarly with PMI, you could choose to make a one-time upfront lump sum payment and get coverage for the PMI payment, uh, PMI service, like the private mortgage insurance, okay? Or number two, we could increase the interest rates from the lender and have the lender give us a credit, which is then used to pay for the private mortgage insurance, right? You understand when you go to get a loan, the lender will say to you, look, if you don't wanna pay any fees, the rate is this, whatever it is, 7%, let's say. However, if you want to, you can pay us extra money almost think of it as like paying interest in advance but you could pay us a lump sum of money you could pay us you know five thousand dollars and we will lower the interest rate from seven percent to 6.875 so you could buy down your interest rate or the lender says look you know if you don't pay anything if you don't pay any uh you know points in order to to, to change the rate the rate is seven percent but if you want to if you voluntarily take a higher interest rate we will actually give you some money. We'll give you a credit that you can use to cover some of your closing costs. And so the letter says, look, if you voluntarily take 7.125, we will pay you $4,000. So it works in both directions. Now you can't do this and say, okay, I'll take 17%. You give me $120,000. Does not work to that extreme? There's, there's limits as to how high you can go in both directions. You can't buy it down to zero, okay? So you can buy this thing down a little bit. You could pay, you know, a little bit of money. You could buy it down. You know, in some cases, half point, point. Uh, you might be able to get a credit for a little bit. There are limitations usually on a loan as to how much you could do there. So you can choose to voluntarily tell the lender, "Look, I don't want seven percent. Uh, if you give me seven point two five or seven point three seven five, then um, you could pay the private mortgage insurance from the credit you're giving me." And so it's sort of like a. In quotes, lender paid private mortgage insurance because the lender is paying it for you and they're baking it into the rate. They're baking it into the mortgage interest rate, right? They're voluntarily, you're voluntarily taking a higher interest rate in exchange for not having to pay PMI. Another way of thinking about it. Okay. Or the third way is you could pay a monthly private mortgage insurance premium to the private mortgage insurance company via your escrow, and that could cover you for your insurance. Now, and sometimes there are combinations of these. You may have an upfront premium and a monthly premium. For example, with FHA loans, there's an upfront mortgage insurance premium and a monthly mortgage insurance premium. Okay. Now, let's look at each one of these to kind of go through a little detail. And we're going to talk about the pros and cons of each because there are some significant advantages to doing one way or another. And Depending on what you're trying to accomplish and what your plans are with the property, you may want to do one versus another. Okay. So let's talk about that upfront lump sum TMI fee where you just pay one big chunk all at once, one time when you acquire the property. So you pay that one time upfront lump sum payment for private mortgage insurance instead of paying it monthly. So, what are some of the benefits of doing it that way? Well, number one is you don't have to worry about the loan to value of the property and when private mortgage insurance drops off. So with the other payments, the other types of private mortgage insurance options, like the monthly one, in some cases, FHA being an exception, where FHA, depending on how much you put down, doesn't go away ever. But with conventional financing, when you decide, when you decide to pay a monthly private mortgage insurance payment, after a certain point, when the property value gets to the point where your loan balance is less than 80% of the value of the property, when you get to an 80% loan to value, in other words, then you can request to have that private mortgage insurance removed and you no longer have to pay the monthly fee. Well, if you choose to do the upfront lump sum payment, you don't have to worry about all that. Well, is my property value high enough? Is my loan paid down enough? Am I really at 80% loan to value? You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And in a lot of cases, when you go to do the monthly one um, and, and you think you're getting close to that 80% loan to value, sometimes they'll say, okay, you know, you're know, you relatively close. Why don't you pay for an appraisal? You know, 800 bucks, 600 bucks, $1,000, depending on when you get it, who's doing it, all that other stuff. But it might cost you, I don't know, somewhere between a $500 and $1,000 probably in order to have an appraisal done to prove to the lender that you are at that 80% loan to value to request to have that monthly PMI removed. Well, if you do the upfront lump sum PMI payment, you don't have to worry about the appraisal. So you can almost subtract off whatever it is, you know, $500 to $1,000 off the cost of the PMI payment because you probably have to pay that in order to have it removed if you're thinking about doing it aggressively. Now, if you just wait until, you know, based on your original purchase price and the loan paying down to 80% loan to value, they probably will not require an appraisal at that point because it's conservatively. Likely that you're at 80% loan to value then, and you might not have to pay for an appraisal at all. Okay, but talk to your lender to get the details of your specific loan and your situation and what they're going to require. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that loan to value and when the PMI is going to drop off because you just paid it all up front. So there's nothing for it to drop off. It basically is in existence already. You paid a one time upfront lump sum payment, you don't have to worry about anything monthly. Okay, now when you pay a whatever it is. Lump sum upfront payments on your for your PMI, you don't have that increased monthly expense. You don't have a monthly PMI payment. So your cash flow is improved. You've reduced the expenses that you have on buying the property. And so your cash flow looks better. Because cash flow is really all the income on the property minus all the expenses. And if you have a monthly PMI expense, then you no longer have that if you decide to pay an upfront lump sum PMI payment instead of the monthly. So if we know how much we're saving each month by not having to make a monthly PMI payment. And we know approximately how long that will last for if we estimate you know, property values are going up around this. And that's a reasonable number to expect into the future. And my loan is paying down this amount in the first year and this amount in the second year. And we can look at in the future and figure out when we would get to that 80% loan to value And you can look at that on the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet. You can look up what the estimated loan to value is at the end of any given year on there. And you can see when about it will drop off to about 80% based based on your kind of assumptions you put into the spreadsheet. So you can go look at that. And so you could say, okay, well, by paying this upfront lump sum PMI PMI payment, wow, it's a tongue twister, um, versus doing it monthly, you could say, look, okay, I, I basically am saving myself $200 a month by not having to make this PMI payment for this amount of time. So I could look at what the overall return was not having to make those payments on the amount that I had to invest. And you could calculate a return on investment for that. Now it's estimated, right? Because we really don't know until the future actually happens when the PMI, if you were paying it monthly would drop off. It's possible property values go up a lot faster than we estimated and it could come off sooner. It's possible that property values do not go up, that they go down, and that we have that PMI on there longer than we expected. So we're really doing an estimated calculation as to whether or not we should do this upfront lump sum payment and, and what the return is going to be on that by how long we might possibly have the monthly one, okay? And it might be, when you're thinking about this, you calculate your return on investment for doing the upfront lump sum one, and you know based on not having to make those monthly payments, um, it might be better from a return on investment or cash flow perspective um, by taking the same money and instead using it for uh, additional down payments and or buying down your interest rate. So when you look at these calculations, you say, "Okay, look, I could I've got an extra ten thousand dollars sitting on the sideline, right? I've got all the down payment I need to do the deal. I've got my negative cash flow set aside. I got my reserve set aside. Um, you know, I'm all ready to go. However, I've got this extra ten k." What should I do with the 10K? Well, one option is I could possibly decide instead of doing monthly PMI, I could pay the upfront lump sum PMI and not have to worry about a monthly payment. Okay, that's one thing. And we could look at what the return would be on taking that money and doing that. We can estimate what the return would be. Or I could say, look, maybe instead of doing, uh, up paying PMI upfront, maybe I could take the $10,000 and add it to my down payment. So instead of putting whatever it is, 5% down, now maybe I'm putting 7% down or 8% down, or 10% down, whatever it happens to be. So you could choose to do that. You can look at what how that would improve your investment by using the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet and playing around with this, Say, okay, what if I put 10K more in my down payment? How would that impact everything? How would that affect my returns? How would that affect my cash flow? Like, I look at all those different things. Or instead of actually taking that $10,000 you have on the sideline and using it for additional down payment, you could choose to go to the lender and say, Okay, Mister or Mrs. Lender, what if I gave you ten thousand dollars? How much could I buy my interest rate down for? And they could tell you, well, for ten thousand dollars, that's uh, you know about whatever it happens to be, three point two points, and so you could buy it down for you know down to this if you decided to do that. And they may say, you know, it's uh, you know, percent percentage points better. So if you had a seven percent loan, maybe it's down to you know six point one two five now. You're like, oh, that's pretty good. That would improve my cash flow by this, and that would be better for me. And you could plug that into the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet, and you could calculate which one of those three options is best for you paying the upfront lump sum PMI payment, paying additional down payment, or buying down the interest rate and seeing which one of those three options gives you the best overall deal. And it might matter what you plan on doing with the property. And that's sort of the, the subtext of this, right? If you're planning on holding the property for 30 years and eventually paying off that loan completely and you don't plan to refinance ever, then maybe buying down your interest rate is one of the better options because that savings lasts for the entire 30-year period. And you can look at that. Or maybe doing the extra down payment makes that sense. But if you're planning on selling the property within a year or two or three or four, You know, you're using this as like a rocket booster fuel in order to grow your investment to a certain point, but you're really planning on selling that property and either 1031 exchanging into another property or taking the equity in the property after all your expenses, your true net equity after all your expenses, and you're going to redeploy that money somewhere else, then maybe you don't want to buy down your interest rate. Maybe you do want to do an additional down payment or maybe you want to just keep the money on the sideline and not do any of these options. So it's really up to you to decide what your plan is, and what is the best use for your money, depending on what you're intending to do with the property. Now, when you do decide to do the upfront lump sum PMI fee, it does not hurt your debt to income, which is one of the benefits. So instead of choosing to have this extra monthly fee on there, the monthly PMI version, uh, which would impact your debt to income, you know, when you go to calculate and qualify for the next loan, or even this loan, it is gonna impact what your debt to income ratio is for buying the property. When you do the lump sum one, it doesn't. So if you were really close on your DTI numbers, one of the options could be for you to choose to pay the upfront lump sum PMI payment to improve your DTI and get below whatever ratio you need for that particular loan or that particular uh, in- interest rate. But sometimes it'll impact, DTI will impact your interest rate in some cases, okay? Especially if you're high, you get penalized if you go too high. That's what I'm thinking of. All right. So, the benefits are don't have to worry about low to value. And when it pays off, you get improved cash flow and it does not hurt your debt to income ratio. Now, what are the downsides of doing this upfront lump sum PMI payment? Well, number one is you're paying a big chunk upfront. You got to have that money. If you don't have the money, it's not an option. Right. And if the market is appreciating very quickly and you have a very low interest rate, you're gaining equity and lowering your loan to value very rapidly, right? Because the market's going up, so your property value is going up, and the lower your interest rate is, the more you're paying in principal on that loan early on. It's lower interest rates to actually pay a little bit more in principal payment uh, with each payment that you're making. So if you got a low interest rate and property values are going up, then the spread is increasing quickly. And so your overall loan to value, the amount of your loan balance compared to the value of your property is actually improving. And so you might not be paying that monthly PMI for very long at all. So in a fast appreciating low interest rate environment, which we saw pretty significantly over the last five years or so, you know, you may be choosing to pay this upfront lump sum pay, up some payment when you would be paying your monthly pmi for a very short period of time and so much so that if you're seeing these really rapid increases in property prices you know like 10% plus which we saw in some markets um, then you you might actually run into a different problem which is a minimum that the pmi must remain in place some pmi companies may say you need to leave this policy in place for at least a year if you're paying monthly Okay. And if that's the case, then you may run into that. The property values went up ten percent, and you paid down your loan a little bit, and you put eight percent down your loan to begin with. Well, a ten percent increase in paying down the loan, you know, a couple of percentage points, you're already at twenty percent at the end of the year. So realize that that could be a potential issue. Okay, all right. So that's upfront lump sum PMI fee. What about the lender paid? Where you choose to have the lender, you choose to voluntarily take a higher interest rate. And the lender gives you a credit, which they then use to pay for your PMI. Well, you could pay money to reduce your interest rate. You could also use it the other way, where you pay, you get a credit for voluntarily taking a higher rate. Okay. Now, the benefits of doing this is this might actually be slightly lower monthly amount than if you actually had the PMI payment. When you, when you get both payments, they may say, look, you know, your, your total payment, principal interest, taxes, PMI, everything rolled into one is $2,000 a month if you decide to uh, pay the PMI. However, if you decide to increase your interest rate, maybe your payment is, you know, $1,975. So it's $25 a month cheaper, as just an example, if you decide to take the higher interest rate. Sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes it goes the other way where actually raising the interest rate is you know, a little bit higher. You got to actually price them both out and look at them to see which one is which. But what's what's different about voluntarily taking the higher interest rate versus having just the PMI payment be higher? Like let's say you know, taking the higher interest rate is $25 a month cheaper. Well, the difference is that this new payment, the new higher interest rate payment lasts for 30 years. However, the PMI payment only lasts for whatever it is, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years before you actually get to 80% loan-to-value and that PMI would then drop off with conventional financing. So even though it's $25 cheaper, once the PMI drops off after three, four, five years, once you get 80% loan-to-value, then actually it may reverse and that may then become more expensive than if you had it the other way. So you got to be really careful about choosing to take the higher interest rate if you plan on holding the property for a long period of time because in a lot of cases it may be worthwhile for you to pay the slightly higher monthly PMI version knowing that after a few years when you get to 80% loan to value and you pay for the appraisal and all that other stuff and the lender says okay yep you're you're below 80% loan to value I will now remove your monthly PMI payment and your payment actually goes down by whatever your PMI payment was, $100 or $200 a month. And at that point, it's probably cheaper than what it would have been if the interest rate were, if you took it in the interest rate. Okay, so you got to be careful about that. Now, the other thing about doing the lender pay PMI, unlike when you do the lump sum upfront one, is it does also impact your debt to income ratio because you have a higher payment. So this impacts qualifying for the loan and it impacts qualifying for future loans because this is now going to count when you try to qualify for the next loan as part of your DTI calculation. So be super careful about, you know, doing these things and thinking ahead if you're buying more than one property, now, if you're just buying like one owner occupant property. Yeah. You know, you, you choose what's best for you based on that. But if you're thinking, Hey, look, I'm going to probably buy you know, 10 properties. Well, you need to start thinking, what is the impact of me doing it this way on my plan to buy, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 properties in the future. All right, and then the last option, monthly PMI. So you can choose to pay your private mortgage insurance premiums monthly. Now the benefits are these payments are often temporary in nature. They go away after you drop below that 80% loan to value. So even though you're paying it for a little while, eventually they go away. There are some exceptions like FHA. If you're putting three and a half percent down, then those don't ever go away. You have to actually sell the property or refinance out of the loan completely into a different loan in order to get rid of PMI if you're buying FHA. But with conventional loans, it does go away. Oh, you know something I think I forgot to talk about? So another benefit of paying the higher interest rate one, if you're voluntarily taking the higher interest rate is um, there may be some tax benefits to doing this because the interest on loans is tax deductible. However, however, listen very carefully to this. The overwhelming majority of taxpayers are choosing to take the standard deduction. And so this will not come into play for you if you're doing this for owner-occupant properties. If you're using it for investment properties, then for both rental properties, both interest and insurance are both expenses on the property. And so it doesn't matter whether you're doing it as a monthly payment, a PMI, or you're taking it as a higher interest rate. All right, so realize that You know, when you are, if you're an owner-occupant, insurance is not tax-deductible, as far as I know. I'm not an expert on taxes, verify this with your CPA. But my understanding is, if you're an owner-occupant, the insurance is not tax-deductible. However, mortgage interest is, if you choose to itemize your deductions, however, most people are not choosing to itemize their deductions because the standard deduction is so high right now um, that... Most people are choosing just to take the standard deduction. So to make a decision based on that, I think, is silly. You don't want to, what is the saying, you know, the, the dog wagging the, t- the tail wagging the dog? You don't make decisions for tax savings, right? You make decisions, and then you look at the tax kind of implications of that, and you see if you can live with those. But it's not like you're optimizing, you're not choosing your investments based just on taxation. Right, so think that through. All right, so um, back to the monthly PMI one. So the benefits are these payments are often temporary in nature. They go away after you drop below 80% loan value. The downsides of doing monthly PMI is these can hurt cash flow. Unlike when you do the lump sum upfront payment, you know when you do monthly, it actually impacts your cash flow. And it impacts cash flow early on, especially when it is harder than ever to generate cash flow, right? Cash flow tends to improve the longer you hold the property. The longer you own a property, you know, that payments, the principal interest part of payment is fixed, even though taxes and insurance and other things are going up over time, rents are also tending to go up over time. And so the longer you tend to own a property, the better the cash flow on the property tends to be. So it's usually hardest earliest on when you first buy a property. And so that's when you have this monthly PMI payment, which is when it's hardest to get cash flow. And that's when it hurts the most. So that's the trick. Another downside is it does also impact that debt to income ratio when you're qualifying for your loan and especially when you're qualified for your next loans, at least until it drops off. So when we think about comparing monthly PMI to like taking the higher interest rate, at least the monthly PMI option, except for FHA loans, is going to drop off after some point. And then that DTI will be improved and it won't impact you anymore. But if you do the higher interest rate, that lasts for 30 years or until you pay off the loan. So that's harder. All right. So in conclusion, lenders prefer you to put 20% down. If you insist on putting less than 20% down, they may opt to make you pay to make, the, make the, they may opt to make the loan but might require you to purchase third-party insurance to protect them in case you default. This third-party insurance is called private mortgage insurance. It protects the lender against you defaulting. You pay for it to protect the lender because they would rather you put 20% down you are insisting on putting less than 20% down, they're then, okay, you twisted my arm, I will make you the loan. However, you need to actually protect me in case you default. Now, when you get your loan, you can often choose which way you prefer to address putting less than 20% down and paying PMI. You could do this upfront lump sum payments. You could choose to voluntarily take a higher interest rate to get a credit, have the lender pay for PMI, or you could choose to pay the PMI payments monthly. And each has its own pros and cons, which we've discussed. And really, it depends on what you plan on doing with the property as to which you should do. And a good lender, and to a lesser degree, less likely, a good real estate agent should be able to talk to you about pros and cons and how this might work for you. Okay. And which choice you should make based on your plan. All right. So that's all I got for you. Hopefully, you enjoyed this class. Now you've got a full understanding of the the three different options for paying PMI and how this all works. Uh, Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in Bend is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities.